I was like that two economic law modules I did in college. All coming out. <laughs> Get in there, perform and deliver. Respect, last Corda. It will be one sentence and I am responding. What a load of spin and nonsense. He has only challenged my personality and pointed out my gender. And cop on a small bit, Taoiseach. Welcome to the Polling Station podcast with Neve and Amy, where each week we try to make politics a bit easier to grasp. And this week we are talking about Thatcherism, which might seem a little bit random, but... It's not, folks. Today is actually the anniversary of her death, so it's a good time to take stock, take a look back at, yeah, what, uh, I guess influential figure she was you can't dispute that and take a look at what she did what her policies were how she got to be where she was exactly and I suppose anyone who watched season four of the crown she kind of re-emerged into well pop culture anyway and kind of into the public forum kind of people looking at obviously this was Thatcherism through a dramatic fictional-esque lens yeah so completely different but kind of made me think like wait, hold up, I actually don't know a lot about Margaret Thatcher, bar that she was the first female Prime Minister of Britain and that she was a Tory um, MP. That's about it. Like, my first introduction to Margaret Thatcherism, this is a shout out to all my musical theatre fans, is Billy Elliot, the musical. There's a fantastic opening of Act Two, which if people don't know what Billy Elliot, based on the film, is about, you need to go watch it. It's fantastic. The opening of Act Two is this big whole company song against how Margaret Thatcher has ruined all their lives because of the minor strikes and I was like what is this who is this woman that was the first time I was introduced to her as a figure so it's it's a song full of anger which I feel is what a lot of people feel towards her um looking back on her legacy I guess so and she's one of like I feel like in politics when you have a political philosophy named after you whether it's for better or for worse, you're embedded in the history books, which is exactly what Thatcher got with Thatcherism. She's kind of the British version of what Americans had in a similar era with President Ronald Reagan and Reaganomics. You know, yes, tr- you know that was his his catch line. So that can be another episode we can delve into. It's very much that that they're like their policies were so iconic that they just like coined a whole philosophy and. Like Reagan, Margaret Thatcher with her Thatcherism was really her whole like philosophy was based on the free market economic system. So what that really is, is that the economy, the government should have as little interference in it as possible. So it should be like a free market. There should be no obstructions with competition. There should only be like, you know, private transactions. So like the state shouldn't be like regulating businesses or people's lives. And it's just like, use to you, we're going to get out of the way. And it was really that free market thing coupled with her very, um, I guess, Victorian ideologies of what the nuclear family should be. It's like those two marriages. So like a very hands-off approach economically, but a very hands-on approach socially and kind of being like, oh no, this is how you should conduct your social lives really is what encapsulates Thatcherism. It's kind of like the pinnacle of conserv- of what modern conservatism would be in Bingo. British politics anyway, especially like coming into the 20- 21st century. Yeah, so she's a really interesting person, even like how she came to like have these belief systems. 
Yeah, and I suppose like that even dates back like to you know when she was a child and when she grew up in uh, Grantham. She you know she actually grew up in a working class family and with her sister, her mom, and her dad. And I suppose a lot of you know people attribute her conservative beliefs to her dad because he was a shopkeeper and you know small business owner, and he didn't like that he was paying out taxes, which were I suppose post. You're looking at this is a post World War Two era, you know primarily Labour governments. We see you know the mm-hmm. introduction of the National Health Service, otherwise known as the NHS. Her dad would often engage in political conversations with her at the dinner table. And he actually ran in local elections and mayor of the town that they lived in. So politics was kind of, I think, always part of her life. And especially, you know, that the government is stealing from you in terms of tax breaks. And so uh, for, cer- for certain socioeconomic groups and obviously her um, her father fe- it didn't feel like he was getting it. So I think it kind of led her eventually down the line to what led her into politics but funny enough she actually ended up going to oxford which is incredibly obviously everyone knows prestigious uh, university but she actually she studied to be a chemist she studied chemistry which is just so like someone you just do not hear of many chemists going into politics no i mean little did she know she was a woman in stem and then it was during her time there she actually joined the conservative party within Oxford University. And I think that's where she got her taste. And she was the only woman at the time. I'm pretty sure she was like elected head of the Conservative Party um, within like this, the, sorry, the Conservative Student Union. So she definitely, this was kind of like you, you, the foundation of her beliefs. She was very much immersed in, in a conservative ideology. And like, as you said, Amy, like a free market. And I suppose, you know, her dad was, like I said earlier, was the foundation of that. And then while, even though like the road for politics and women was still very far and few between then, even worse than it is now, it was when she met her husband, Dennis Thatcher, which obviously she took his name. She was, mm-hmm. she was, this kind of became a bit more of a possibility. Like Dennis came from a very wealthy family. And I suppose with this wealth comes a lot of privilege and she was able to enter a world of politics you get, you get those connections, those political connections yeah. that are still so important, but were very important back then. And exactly. And, she, you know, she was able to hire nannies and, and childcare and so on. Like that's obviously childcare w- would not have been as... Um, it's not accessible. It was very, like, it, very expensive back then. I know it is still very expensive now, but it was like really reserved for like the middle upper class to have access to that exactly and her marriage into Dennis gave her this opportunity but uh, when she first ran for election actually in 1950 she she didn't win but Mm. she did actually she took a huge amount of votes from the incumbent Labour MP which was kind of big deal you know because it was a big Labour town and then yeah huge and then she eventually they she the constituency where she rang and where she ran and ran for 30 years was Finley and it was in a greater London suburb or borough yes so I suppose she was appealing to the conservative, you know, the obviously people often refer to London as the metropolitan, you know, liberal, but she was able to grasp those, um, you know, kind of more right leaning um, votes for 30 years. And I suppose this was her ascension into politics in 1959, when she became a Tory um, backbencher. And she was straight in, you know, elected. She was appointed junior minister of pensions and national insurance. And she just continued to like climb the ranks of the Conservative yeah. Party. Well, yeah, like you said, Amy, she continued to kind of grab like the ladder up to the like the leadership or higher positions within the Tory party. And then obviously she remained as a backbencher, but a vocal backbencher. And then essentially in 1970, I think when she got her national recognition was when she became Secretary of Education. Mm-hmm. And I suppose obviously, you know, like you said, Amy, the whole like the the core of Thatcherism 
is a free market and less state intervention. So what she did was during her time as kind of uh, as education secretary was possibly one of her, it was the start of her very controversial political Actions. career. I think it's important to note that people will have mixed views on Thatcher. Some people will hail her as this economic trailblazer trailblazer she had you know she laid the foundation for a lot of actual green policies and she kind of backed out them in later date but people give her a lot of credit for that you know but she did her economic trailblazing came at a great cost for a lot of people yeah so i think some people will love her and some people will hate her yeah and Bush, I suppose her time as uh, education secretary really did um, highlight her belief in Thatcherism, her economic policy, when she cut funding for schools in, in pri- at primary level for access to milk. You know, kids of that state would have gotten would have gotten milk donated, milk cartons donated to them, which obviously very important for bone growth, calcium, all that jazz. From what the doctors tell us, neither of us are doctors, but we're not um, doctors. But like that was a huge, huge, like you know, like you be kids from like poor socioeconomic backgrounds. Like milk is like you know she's got all the nutrients in there, and it was really like Margaret Thatcher showing her being like we're taking the hands off here, you're on your own kind of thing. Everyone remembers dem bones, dem bones need calcium. So, you know, that's what kids needed as uh, they needed the milk growing Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, so she, so it was kind of, and everyone, like the the press went in. Shocker, the British press. Oh, the British tabloids. They've never done it before and they'll never do it again. But even like, I think like, you know, like that milk snatcher and that whole synonymous, but what she came with taking milk away. And the fact that she was a woman doing that really just I think was a tabloid stream like added complete fuel to this like fire of like she was this like you know uncaring woman in politics look at her abandoning her kids and now taking away milk from other kids isn't it awful yeah it definitely didn't play into that and I suppose like this was a very short-lived term like this was under the you know Edward Heath Tory government and then that eventually they lost then the next election so she's in opposition between 1975 and 1979. And then during this time, we also see a leadership challenge as well, where Edward mm-hmm. Heath is, he's ousted. And Margaret Thatcher steps in and she won the leadership. And she became the first female prime minister in 1979 when she took up residence in 10 Downing Street. Which was, I mean, huge. You know, like she, like Margaret Thatcher, her, Thatcher herself. I'm pretty sure when she was education secretary, she said, I don't think I'm going to see a female prime minister in my lifetime. And then it's like four years later, she was. She does that. it. She does it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, one of very few in, um, in Western, in, in Western civilization anyway. I mean, and... we've never done it here in Ireland. <laughs> we haven't done it. We've never had a woman in the top leadership position for politics. And, you know, like she did that. And I think, you know, she went in with the reputation of being a very hard politician, a very hard um, policy-wise, and she really continued that when she, when she got in with her really dramatic cuts to social housing. Yeah, yeah. I suppose, like, Britain was in a very economically headed into another recession. It still kind of wasn't grappling toward, like, post-war. It was it was still very much in the depths of um, an economic depression. And I think, so she she tried to grapple that as much as she can. And like you said, Amy, um, I suppose social housing was one of her, one of the key policies in which she wanted to do that. And by doing that, she decided to sell a portion of, of council housing to tenants. So if a tenant could afford it, she would offer it to them to buy. So this was kind of the beginning of the prioritization of 
what were previously more socialist policies Mm -hmm. brought in by previous Labour governments. And again, you see that um, hands-off approach. Like she did not, she was like, you know, you can buy your houses. The state is no longer going to provide them for you if you can afford them. And the knock-on for that, as we can see years from now, has been huge. But yeah, like that was a real like showing of it that she was like, no, like you should be able to stand on your own feet and the state is going to take that away from you. And it also the kind of like um, conservative manifesto for that time really was like full employment like after that she once she got into power she completely abandoned that Mm -hmm. she was like that that's the responsibility of the employers and the employees to get that not the state which is very interesting I suppose low taxation was kind of the key area that you know she cut income tax increasingly it fell to 25% and then there was even a shift away from direct taxation to indirect so she like for example VAT was increased uh, to 15% so yeah very much what as you said Amy hands-off approach with certain regards and then tax was Mm -hmm. You know, and again, like that was like her real her like influence for her father coming through there. You know, we're going to progressively cut these income taxes, basically because the state shouldn't have to fund you. You should be able to put that money back into the economy through your transactions rather than, you know, like the state taxing you and then us building infrastructures, which led into her privatizing a lot of the state owned industry, such as British telecoms, British gas british airways and um, she put them a lot of electric companies she put them into private hands again completely showing like her whole thing of being like not the state private company should be running this yeah and she was kind of i suppose a lot of she was losing a lot of faith within within the british government and not even the british government with the pe- british people specifically and she was kind of it was coming towards the end of her second term you know, unemployment was incredibly high at this time. Mm-hmm. Taxes, you know, and inflation just continued, continued to rise. And I suppose she needed a win. And what gave her her win was the Falklands War. The Falklands War was really... Um... It was the pinnacle of getting her re-elected, essentially. It was, you know, it was kind of like that, what you almost see now, like that British, Britain first initiative. Like we won. So essentially... The Falklands uh, is a small island off the coast of Argentina. It had, you know, colonized by Britain years previously and had remained under British rule. It was invaded by Argentina then. By 1982 and within days, Thatcher had sent a huge military task force to the Southern Atlantic, basically, to help the Falklands defend themselves from the Argentinian invasion. So it was very much like, we're calling back to the empire. Britain is here. Do not worry, we're sending the ships. It was very that. And I think we've all seen internationally from the success of the Brexit campaign, how effective it still is and certainly how effective that was back back in the 80s. Yeah, and essentially landed her, gave her a landslide election then into her second term then as prime minister. And this is where she continued to implement the policies of, you know, less government intervention and free, free market. Absolutely. But what um, I think the Falkland War is just really interesting, which is like another huge part of Margaret Thatcher's legacy is Northern Ireland and the IRA. But the Falklands War was actually like a huge sticking point between Anglo-Irish relationships because initially Thatcher sought out the help and support of Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, who was sitting on the UN Security Council that year after you know the sinking of the ship and there were so many Argentinians dead Ireland tried to bring around you know an attempt of meeting of the Security Council in order to um, have uh, an immediate ceasefire 
But basically, they like Margaret Thatcher's government did not want. They thought this was like unacceptable that they were going to do this, and like they just didn't buy into that at all. And that was a huge sticking point diplomatically between Ireland and. You know, Thatcher's government, uh, which yeah. had already really increasing tensions with Ireland, which, yeah, I think a lot of people in Ireland would remember Margaret Thatcher mostly from her, I guess, dealings with Northern Ireland and the IRA specifically. I suppose like there was a lot of key events that kind of happened throughout her her reign as prime minister. I suppose the hunger strikes in 1981, you know, this was, you know, not too long after Lord Mountbatten, the Queen's cousin, was killed by the IRA in Amy's home county of Sligo. Oh, it was only up the road. But yeah, like that, for those who don't know what the hunger strike is, it was basically a group of political prisoners in Northern Ireland uh, went on a hunger strike because they were not being dealt with as political prisoners. They were being dealt with as criminals and they went on a hunger strike and subsequently they died from the hunger strike margaret thatcher never moved on her position from it and she let them die essentially yeah and you know there had been a lot of issues i suppose one of the another you know, key events with regards to the troubles and the ira during the thatcher years was the brighton bombings because it was a direct target for her it happened at the grand hotel on the 12th of october in 1984 in brighton and it ended up killing five people, including one Tory MP, and it injured a lot of people, including her trade secretary at the time, Norman Tebbett and his wife. So it was a huge issue and kind of, you know, the IRA did claim responsibility for this attack and said that this was an accident, but had hinted to do to do this again. But she didn't, she was very robust in her handling with the IRA. You know, she, it's very controversial, even, you know, allegations of funding illegal money to death squads as well. I suppose Pafanouk and his solicitor is one of the most well-known cases who was murdered. And it's still being discussed about to this day where there's been no proper investigation into his death and his family are still looking for answers. So that that's, I suppose, a huge issue that's still ongoing looking back at her time. So it, it's not a good relationship with Northern Ireland that she had. It was not... Uh, no matter what side of the aisle you look at it, there was very few benefits that came out. Bar one, bar one, I suppose, which was in 1985. Yes, which was, of course, the um, Anglo-Irish Agreement in 1985 uh, that was signed with Gareth Fitzgerald, who was Taoiseach at the time. And the agreement kind of broadly gave the Irish government uh, an advisory role in Northern Ireland's government. But like, it's still at the same time, kind of was like, oh, there'll be no changes in the constitution until the majority of people in um, Northern Ireland want that. So that was, you know, seen as a huge moment of the Republic of Ireland was getting a stake in what the future of Northern Ireland would be, which was huge at the time. And I think a, a lot of people, it was strange. I think a lot of people that Margaret Thatcher did that because, you know, she had um, criticism from both nationalists and unionists which she still a lot of them still stand by despite that you know it is universally agreed that she did pave the way for the peace process through this agreement but there is like you say in eve there was a lot of like the allegations of the death squad the broadcasting ban that she put on which basically um affected 11 loyalists and republican organizations like Sinn Féin that their voices were replaced with actor voices on both tv and radio which was like that's a statement that lasted yeah, until the yeah. IRA ceasefire in 1994. Like that is not that long ago that that came off. I think what a lot of people point to is her, what sums up her relationship with Northern Ireland and the IRA and even loyalists is she said, crime, crime is crime, crime is crime. It is not political, it is crime. And there can be no question of granting political status. I just 
she yeah. really felt super strongly that what was happening in Northern Ireland from both sides of the fences was a crime and she was going to come down really, really hard in it, which came at a cost of a lot of lives. And yeah, a lot of people in kind of historians now, though she did pave the way, you know, for peace through the Anglo-Irish agreement, that she missed the nuances within the Northern Ireland conversation, which led to possibly more stroking the flames of kind of the sectarian aggression there rather than, you know, helping it come to an end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Her relationship with Ireland, not so good. Not Not so good. Not very good. And then I suppose as well, another kind of really pinnacle point that a lot of people still see the impacts of today was the miners' strike, which began in 1984, you know, where the national coal output was cut by 4 million tonnes. And, you know, this led to a lot of closing of different mines. Mm-hmm. And so miners went on strike free uh, till about 1985, I think it was. And, you know, during these miners' strikes, they were like not working, not receiving any income whatsoever no state benefits they were they literally lived at the generosity of their local communities to keep them you know housed and fed and stuff and yeah again very similar to her philosophy for the hunger strikes margaret thatcher just let it happen she just stood back yeah. yeah she let it happen you know she wanted people to be independent of themselves and stop mm-hmm. depending on the state and this was kind of her thing this is one of her policies to do that but it was incredibly controversial and a lot of people lost their jobs a lot and you know, the fact that so many coal mines shut down as well, it affected a lot of people, not just in, in England, but in Scotland and the UK as well. Absolutely. But it eventually did come in, to an end in 1985 because I think, you know, people had to get back to work, even if it was under conditions that they that they weren't happy with, they still had to, they had to continue on. And so it did end, like there was even throughout this time, there was a lot of violence that occurred. You know, there's a standoff in South Yorkshire involving over 10,000 miners and 5,000 police officers. And it was kind of known as the Battle of Orgrave where there was lo- loads of people arrested. And yeah, it just was, there was a lot of, a lot of messy times. Uh, yeah, and it, it started to drive divisions in the UK, which can still be seen present day now between kind of the working class coal communities, even between themselves and the people that could like afford to work, I guess, and not take this political stance and those that couldn't. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, watch Billy Elliot. It does a great job at showing it not to broke Billy Elliot again. <laughs> Follow not, on to the podcast, This is not guys. sponsored. <laughs> but... It is. It's really. Um. It. it, it if you it, want to sponsor us, uh, Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot, when you come back to the West End, love you, Elton John. But it it shows a great. It's a great portrayal of like you know like what that meant, uh, both economically yeah. and socially. Well, I suppose Amy as well, what we're looking at as well, like she had a lot of, like, these are a lot of economic policies. As you said earlier, Thatcherism also had a very strong, wanted a strong influence on social issues. So kind of, I suppose one of the main issues that's kind of still being dealt with today in modern British society is Thatcherism and relationships and her relationship with kind of the, you know, accepting homosexuality. Yes. So um, not to plug something else, but they actually talk about this and it's a sin. Great channel for Definitely watch it though, Great everyone. Show. But show. it's uh, basically that, you know, one of her biggest influential social policies was section 28 of the local governments act of 1988 and the it was this clause basically stated that um you know local authorities shouldn't promote the teaching in any 
schools that homosexuality was acceptable or that it was standard for a family relationship to quote directly from the act which is very upsetting language to kind of hear referred to but basically what that involved is that any book poem any material whatsoever that could be interpreted as encouraging homosexuality or homosexual behavior was taken away from schools, taken away from libraries, taken away, just basically stripped from it. And, you know, like Margaret Thatcher made a lot of speeches about her views on homosexuality and how it was immoral. Children who need to be taught to respect traditional moral values are being taught that they have an inalienable right to be gay. All of those children are being cheated of a sound start in life. Yes, cheated. But yeah, that was, you know, that I think that really encapsulates yeah. like she was very strong on this issue. And again, like it's like hands off economically, hands on socially. Yeah. And yeah, you know, like that's obviously was happening as well in the time of the AIDS crisis, which was yeah. particularly bad in London, which further perpetuated you know the horrific acts of violence the policies you know the hospital policies of isolation of abuse that a lot of AIDS patients had to go through because of attitudes like this yeah it just really you know it's awful you know what what she did in 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 that regard but um yeah so it's very very interesting how she was so hands off in one sense to the detriment of people and lives and very hands on in another sense to the detriment of people and lives yeah yeah and I suppose as well like she started her her career as she means to end I suppose possibly one of the most controversial and like what she's kind of known for was the poll tax that was introduced in 1990 which kind of was the beginning of her demise essentially the poll tax was a community charge and essentially every adult had to pay a fixed sum every year within with no matter who, how many adults were in the household and they you would pay the same no matter what income or social class it's called a, a per capita tax and it's at a flat rate so it basically means we're not taking in any nuances of bands what you earn this is what you pay full stop yeah and this kind of again like if we're looking at the end of her like we said like we had the minor strike so there's the, the North-South divide was very prevalent at this stage. You know, I suppose a lot of poor areas within the UK, which were primarily, seems to be in the north of the, um of England as well, suffered extremely bad. And the poll tax was actually brought into Scotland first, kind of as a trial period in 1989. Didn't work well in Scotland, so, but, but they decided to, it, she decided to introduce it here, but it was extremely controversial and it was not supported fully by her, her own government even. And this kind of led to, you know, the a lot of people call it the poll tax riots or, you know, the Battle of Trafalgar in on the 31st of March in 1990. And it was an incredibly vicious and violent protest that people, because I suppose for some people, they had obviously soared economically, you know, because some people and economists will say, that you know, this was a time for economic prosperity. Other people did not see that. And they had seen, you know, continuous cuts to their everyday living. And this was another cut to bring to them. And they just could not afford it anymore. So this was kind of the 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 beginning of the end for Thatcher in a sense. Um, she was losing a lot of faith in her in her party. I suppose it's important to note um, in the year previous. So in 1989, she had removed uh, her fire secretary, Geoffrey Howe, who was one of kind of her 
like they were thick as thieves almost funny enough you could say like kind of sturgeon salmon divide. they'd come up together and they'd you know they'd built their political careers together side by side and he yes. was her foreign secretary he came out against her you know quite vocally for her um increasingly anti-europe lens that she was taking she subsequently fired him he gave a very cutting speech about her oh it was bad oh he went in he yeah. he read her he read yeah. her he read her to filth. read her to filth and this kind of along you know obviously like with her um decreasing popularity because of like the poll tax riots the um minor riots hunger strikes things with northern Ireland. there was just a list of lists a list it prompted a leadership contest for the conservatives literally the day after so yeah you know jeffrey howe he resigned on november 13th and then michael hessington he he began amy the leadership contest the following day so essentially she there was this then this rivalry this you know contest for the leadership and she wasn't stepping down she was like a fight to fight i'm coming on you know bring it on so she won the first round but she needed another 15 percent in order to gain the second ballots but other people started to put their names forward which including you know future prime minister john major and then, so when it comes to kind of the second round of the leadership contest, she has a meeting with each member of her cabinet and each of these men are brought in and she talks to them. And essentially, essentially she is told by them that you need to resign, that you're not going to survive this. You need to get down and you need to start rallying behind who her ally was, which her ally was subsequently John Major. So mm-hmm. that's what happened then. She she resigned. Then. And I think it's definitely, people definitely know the picture the one where she's leaving down in street in the taxi crying and people yeah. are like she never cried not through death not through war not through anything but she cried no. when she yeah. left she was called the iron like iron lady everyone knows meryl street played her in the film like that was her famous name but yeah so she she left office on the 28th of november and john major who was chancellor at the time was then elected and he he was the youngest prime minister at the time so you went from the first female i know this is probably a big leap but first female prime minister to now the youngest prime minister so mm. i suppose like that was the end oh but was it the end because the big thing i think with margaret thatcher and the fact that we're still talk about her so much today is that she the legacy that she has had oh. has been oh oh it's huge 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 like she was the longest serving prime minister three terms i I mean it is going to be huge anyways but yeah like she had so there's so much to unpack and like i i I really do feel like we feel her legacy today like i always think the biggest thing that i find that margaret thatcher has lived on with and it's something that we only kind of she only kind of briefly touches in the latter part of her political career is Euroscepticism. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, like how she really started that, I guess, kind of rallying cry against that and that she wasn't happy with how the European Economic Council was, you know, yeah. making policies and she thought it was leaving Britain out and she didn't like the single market. And she started talking about that and having a lot of those questions that, I think we're raised by the Leave campaign in the uh, 2016 referendum. Very much. This was kind of the beginning of the Britain first. Like even her relationship, her foreign policy relationship, she had a closer relationship with Reagan than she did with members of <laughs> members of Europe. You know, like they were very buddy buddy. Like she even helped them with, you know, by go. She met some people. Attribute obviously, you know, 
Reagan has the famous lines, you know, Gor- Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. But she had met Gorbachev. And like a lot of people say, like they were very close, you know, Reagan and Thatcher, which is funny, but she didn't have that relationship with many other European leaders. Which I feel like you can nearly point to direct parallels between, um, you know, the current conservative um, government now and uh, the U.S., well, certainly the U.S. under the previous Trump administration, that they seem to have closer ties to them than they did Europe, which is like very interesting considering that the U.K. is on the edge of Europe economics it makes most like economics 101 is that you trade with your neighbors and that makes the most economic sense but you know like that's like margaret thatcher i think really started and certainly gave the am- ammunition to the whole u.s lens that the u.s was more important to uk affairs than europe yeah and there was just when she died as well there it's it still even her, in her death she was still extremely controversial like there was a state funeral head to her but there was huge protests across the country you know ding dong the witch is dead ding dong the witch is dead i remember ding dong the witch is dead it went to number 2 in the uk charts the year this is 2013 um so there was huge protests like a lot of people again like the structural um issues that were in place during her time are still felt today and this was kind of what people said during the time of her funeral. I'm here because I think the woman deserves to be honoured in as much as she did more for this country than many, many people realise. Her ideas were based on human greed and that's it. I don't agree with that. Uh, To just be part of a a quite dignified personal protest about what's going on really about um, I, I disagree with the amount of money that's been spent on it. Um, I wasn't. I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody, anybody's family in a funeral situation. But I, I wanted to be here to, to be able to turn my back and show that you know I'm part of a, a, a big part of the country that doesn't agree with what she did and what is you know we're still suffering from. She was one in a million. And that's why we're all here today. Whether we like her or we don't like her, we're all here for the same reason. Because she she was different. Yeah, so that video was done by Vivid Culture back in 2013. So they went around and what you can hear in death, she was extremely divisive then. But I think people can agree she was incredibly influential, whether you agree with it or not. Her policies are still in place today. I mean, you can only just see that in our the way economics is still talked about. Um, I think it's only now that we're coming around to the idea that, you know, inflation isn't the end of the world, that borrowing doesn't mean the end of the world, that state intervention is good. You know, like you are like, I think that like, what if that thinking had been um, applied during the financial crash of 2008, would things be very different now? But that time was so close to kind of Thatcherism's legacy of what economics means, how the state shouldn't be, you know, interfering. But now you look at where we are now, COVID, where it's certainly in Ireland and definitely to an extent in the UK that are, we are being propped up economically by, well, for Ireland, for European bonds, which is a very like, what is a bond kind of thing? It's very conceptual economics that is keeping us afloat because the economy is a complex thing in the sense yeah. that they're like people. And um, I think we're only now we're starting to think of it through that lens. And I certainly think for the UK and Ireland that the economics of Thatcherism had a huge influence on us kind of not thinking about that for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's just a huge, like economically 
socially like you think about without Thatcher what would Northern Ireland look like today what yeah. would would that um huge north south divide in the UK be there if the money had been invested in industrial towns who knows um like I think she's like you look back at them I think there's a few ones that I think that if you if it had gone a different way the world would be different like George Bush Al Gore I always feel like Margaret Thatcher winning that um leadership conservative mm. leadership is one of those things that I'm like oh my god what would the world look like today if Margaret Thatcher had not been the prime minister yeah exactly my favorite thing as well about what Thatcher put in her own words for what her biggest legacy was was new labor I, oh yeah Tony Blair, Tony Blair. Tony Blair. <laughs> we see Tony Blair 2.0 and Kirst Timer, which we'll get into in a different one. But they, Tony Blair and Kirst Timer are very much they align their labor policies and ideology link up far more than Jeremy Corbyn's labor. Two very exactly. different, very different ideologies within one party. So, yeah, I suppose we saw Tony Blair was very much more of a moderate or center left um, rather than a, a, a left wing politician, so yeah. to speak. And I think that Margaret Thatcher certainly from that credits herself with a lot of the um, economic and political thought that is prevalent even in the opposite political party these days, which I think like I just let like that just sums it up for me that she just yeah. defined the political landscape in the UK for so long, so long that I only feel like we're coming to um, the end of it now. And to fully realise actually how much she impacted it as well. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that's it for this week's episode on the polling station. Don't forget to check us on Instagram and Twitter at the polling pod. Let us know. Do you think uh, Margaret Thatcher is, as Mel B once referred to, she emulates girl power? Or do you th- think she's, in fact, the opposite? You let us know what you think about it. Don't forget as well, let us know what else you'd like us to do. If you like these kind of looking back in history of political figures, let us know. And don't forget, you can listen to us on all on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until next week, bye. bye.